Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand made famous by John McEnroe, Gabriella Sabatini, and Novak Djokovic. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com and use the code CRAIG30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. He was born and raised in Germany and has been a prominent fixture in pro tennis for over 20 years as a manager, a financier, an executive, and a coach. He helped Reiner Schuttler get to five and Yanko Tipsarevic get to eight. Dirk Hordorf is today's guest. Are you ready to rock and roll, my man? First of all, are you in Frankfurt or are you in Hamburg? I'm close to Frankfurt. The city is called Bad Homburg. It's a city which has the oldest tennis club of the continent from 1876 with a lot of history. We're going to talk about that shortly. I saw on your social media that you recently had Angie Kerber at Bad Homburg. And I want to ask you about that shortly. For our listeners, the gentleman you hear is one of the more undercover, very interesting people in tennis. A big part of our show is to talk to the people we think are the most interesting people in tennis. And that is Dirk Hordorf, former coach of Janko Tipsarovic, his manager, longtime coach, I believe, of Reiner Schuttler and uh, vice president of the German Tennis Federation. Is that all correct, sir? That's all right. So you are close to Hamburg in Bad Hamburg. Close to Frankfurt. I'm sorry, close to Frankfurt in a place called Bad Hamburg. Yes, and to confuse you completely, I'm born in Hamburg. And born in Hamburg, Dirk Hordorf. Now listen, we do a five-set format. The first set, we call it the the off-the-court report. What has the last 17, 18 19 weeks been like for you i imagine you've been in germany throughout but uh why don't you tell us what this pandemic situation has been like for you yeah i was at the davis cup in end of february um i think we had the last tennis match played and we was really lucky that we could finish it and two days later i had my flight to indian wells um which the news came out and I stayed home. And um, as you know, Indian Wells was canceled, same as Miami. Between Sunday and Tuesday, that Sunday night, the BMP Paribas Open closed <laughs> for all intents yes. and for all intents and purposes, and and really ended professional sports in a way. What happened to you after that? No, I stayed at home. Yeah, like we followed the news. We discussed all the issues, Miami, not Miami. My players called me, asked what to do, how to handle it. So you called to ATP. They also, you know, didn't really know what happens. Um, as you also remember, Miami, two days before, they were thinking they might play. One day before, they said we play without spectators. Then the news came out, no Miami. So, yeah, like you try to help the players to get back, to get home was not easy to get flights. Um, yeah, it was a quite challenging time and something we never had before. What has being in the pandemic been like in Germany? Have you been satisfied with the leadership 
of Angela Merkel? Have you been satisfied with the direction of the government? And, and what's it been like? I think we are very lucky how we handled it. And um, the only thing which was maybe could be done better was we didn't have enough masks in the beginning because our foreign minister, as smart as he is, sent our mask in February to China. And um, so they needed a long time to um, get to the point that they said, yes, must on the shops. Um, we never really was locked up. We had rules that we was not allowed to go to restaurants. The restaurant closed. Um, we had rules to keep distance, um, to wash hands and all this stuff. But we always was able to go to shops and buy food. We always was able to make sport in the park. I think we handled it quite well, and our luckily our health system is quite effective and was prepared. So, yeah, like outside that, you had no chance to travel and not doing the things which you was doing regularly. That a lot of people had to work from home. Um, schools was closed. Um, I think we was handling it well. We really didn't have a lot of people dying on this. And um, yeah, right now we are back to normal life, mostly to normal life. And um, yeah, like some things like flying, distance, mask are still there. And as long as things they don't find the vaccination, um, we don't believe that this will be away very soon. What is your opinion of the United States uh, at this moment in time? It's very tough for us to judge any other country where we are not living, but um, the numbers are not really um, the best um, comparing to other countries. And um, I think it's very important that the political people are staying together and the people are believing, which was um, quite effective in Germany. And um, it looks a little bit that a lot of points are handled in the US, not united between the political persons and so the people are not really believing you know like if every political takes you something different you don't really believe it's a serious issue and i think we all know that covid 19 is a serious uh, serious issue and people are damaged in the health and so i hope that the united states is getting soon over this crisis let's move into the second set This is what we call the On the Court Report. Normally, we would be talking about the end of Wimbledon and the hard court season starting to be, you know, beginning, but that's completely not happening. So I think what I'd like to do today is to talk about many different subjects regarding the business of tennis, okay? What has your opinions been of the exhibition tennis We started in Germany ourselves with exhibition tour to give our players the chance to compete and make them ready when the tour starts. So we played 32 men, 32 women. We added some next-gen generation to it. And um, we tried to make all these events um, corona, like no ball boys, um, no distance, um, everything safe, just one umpire. Um, we are still working on this. We are now in the week number six and coming next week to the final week with the finals. And it was a big success in Germany. The press uh, took it well. 
tennis channel reported live from each match. Yeah, it was great for the players. I think all players thanked the German Federation a lot for making this happening. You know, like we gave umpire jobs, we gave the players money they could earn in this difficult time quite decent um, good money. So I think it was great. And uh, I think all other countries also did things like this, everybody different. Um, and yeah, like some countries maybe um, overdid it in what they tried as we probably will come to the Adria tour. Um, it's an interesting question, you know, like I was there, um, I was very close how this happened. At the same time, Janko Tipsarevic played the East European Championships. So the exhibition was a great thing in the time there was no tournaments. What did you think of the Murata Glue event? I loved this event. And I sent it Patrick and he responded very nice, a gratulation. And I told him, like, I like people with visions. And what I like more is people which have a vision which fulfill it and make it happen. I think he played a great show. Um, I loved this format. I think the people was excited. And I think he made a really good exhibition and um, even a very nice innovations. Not every innovation maybe needs to be done, maybe with the cards and triple points. Um, not sure this should be the future of tennis. But this format with four times 10 minutes, I think, was great. I agree. I thought it was interesting to see someone try something new and execute it. Yes. And I like this. And I think it's something which is coming to what the people like. You know, like I think the next generation is not like me. They want to have shorter decisions. They want to have more excitement. And I think the time is over where we selling a tennis tournament like we do. I think in 10 years you will see that the tennis tournament sell, sells each match. And the match has one and a half hours or two hours. Um, when you go to a cinema, you don't want to see a film for 10 hours. And um, I remember um, the time when Janko Tepsarevich played at the US Open on Arthur Ashe. At four o'clock against the number one American, um, Sam Query. On the 12,000 possible spectators was 3,000. You know, like number one American, Janko is quite a interesting player, why so less spectators? And they said, no, they are sold out. But if you want to buy a ticket at the US Open, you buy it on other edge from morning 11 to night at 12 o'clock. This is 13 hours. And nobody is really ready to come 13 hours. So I think you should um, present the matches and the selling of tickets in a completely different way. How is German tennis at this moment in time, what is your opinion and evaluation of German tennis? Germany has the biggest tennis federation of the world. We have 1.4 million members in the federation. They're coming from 2.5. And we have to do a lot of work to understand the need of the people. You know, we are getting a lot of kids up to 14 years, and we are losing them between 14 and 14. You're losing your players between 14 and 40. Yes. This has reasons. You know, like, the people are different than 50 years ago. They're more flexible. 40 years ago, the wife was at, at home and, and took care of the kids. The man was working. And so at the end of the weekend, the man played tennis and the wife um, stayed home. Today is different. 
the wife says, sorry, I'm also working. I'm not taking care of the kids alone. So she doesn't want to have the men all day on the tennis court because our event in team tennis are too long. We have like students which are not studying next to their house, next to their parents' house. They're going to another city for two years. For two years, they don't want to go in a new club and we are losing them. Our events are not exciting enough. They are too long. Now, when I was going to school, I went home at one o'clock. I was ready. Today, you have school to four o'clock, five o'clock. So then you cannot play tennis anymore in the same way like before. So I think we need to adapt to the need of the people. Like every company needs to ask their consumers what they want. And we in tennis are doing different. We tell the people what they have to do and what they should do. And that's not working. You know, I talk about it all the time. In you know, I'm, I'm in New York and in Los Angeles. And you go to what you would think would be, you know, high-level clubs where the opportunity for good players to be there and they're not. And people, and what you're saying is, is interesting. We see it all the time. People quit tennis. And my question to you is how do you keep the people that took lessons their whole life, that played college tennis, that played junior tennis, that their parents – sent them to tennis camp, how do you get them back onto the court? Because it seems like once they quit, that the sport becomes sort of too aggravating for them. Very difficult. But the key is always the same. You need to make your product that they want to have it. And for this, you should ask the people why they quit. We are asking the people and making decisions from people which are in tennis and which love tennis. But... What we need, let's say, you're, again, I'm coming from business. If you have a consumer company, they will ask the people why you don't buy my product, what you expect from my product, how you want to have my product, how to present you the product. What we need to do, we need to be better in the offer to the people which are potential tennis players. What is your opinion of German pro tennis right now? How are you feeling about where the sport sits in the world? We are very lucky that we had this Kerber, Wimbledon champion, US Open champion, number one of the world. And um, we had a good time in the ladies. We always was in the top of the Federation Cup. But now we have a gap and we have to hope that Kerber is playing some more years and keeps the flag of Germany alive. We have a quite good juniors coming up, not as good as USA. But um, in the Australian Open juniors, we had this year seven girls playing. And um, we hope that in two, three years, we have some good girls coming up and um, taking up um, German tennis again in the ladies, uh, women's and tennis. As you know, Sascha Zverev is a young, very talented, promising player. And... Um, yeah, he's... Dirk, do you know him? Do you have a fluid relationship with him? Yes, I know him since he's 10 years. I was even short-time coaching his brother, and um, I'm very... I, I know him. He's an exciting boy. Um, you could see him with 10 years. He was always already on the Australian Open with his brother. This kid loves tennis, and he's an outstanding talent. And same there, we have a lot of young... Yes, since five years, we made a quite successful, good program, and 
Now we are starting to get slowly the fluids. But what I always say, like a baby you make in nine months, a tennis player you need nine years. So um, you cannot make it in short term. Tennis player, you need nine years. Yes. What can you tell me about Sasha Zverev's problems, particularly in 2019? You know, it's always two things. The one thing is that the first year when you really break through it, I think um, he broke through in 2018, um, you always get difficulties. So opponents are reading you better, coaches are starting to analyze you better. And um, when you at the end see that he qualified for the Masters, um, the problem was on a high level. Um, to be in the Masters of the top eight players is quite a good achievement for a 21-year-old player. On the other way, um, he had some problems with his surf. Um, he still has some problems with his surf. Let me just stop you quickly. From my purview, the biggest problem was the, the problem with Patricio Ape, the problem with the agent. How adversely did that impact his tennis? You cannot say it exactly, but for sure. If you have, you know, like problems with um, the relation with the agent, there was a discussion with his coach, Ivan Lendl. Um, there was some difficulties inside his team. Um, for sure, this is also um, affecting your tennis and your concentration. And especially in the part when you might have also, let's say, a surf problem. Um, then everything comes together. Still, even if I repeat it, to be last eight is the problems on a high level. Um, Julia Gorgeous. You say Georges or Gorgeous? Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Um, why hasn't she played better tennis? Good question. And it shows that you see the, pot the potential of her, which I also see. And um, I always believed she should be an easy top 10 player with the serve which she has, with um, her abilities. Um, she sometimes played outstanding good, like winning Stuttgart tournament, plays very well in the doubles sometimes. But um, yeah, like to be consistent, she didn't manage to make it on the top. Uh, she was in the top 20, which is um, not bad. But um, the opposed, I think, believe that her potential was higher what she could reach. And um, yeah, now it's tough. The time is running, not on her side. Um, one of my listeners, her name is Katura Anderson Chibbers, uh, asked me to ask you um, if you could explain your uh, adverse re reaction to a potential merger between the ATP and the WTA. I understand that you are not in favor of that merger or that possible merger. Is that true? Um, in some part, yeah, yes, because I don't see that any problem is solved by a merger. Um, if you make a merger, then there should be a reason for the merger. And I think there's a lot of points which have to be fixed um, and which have nothing to do with a merger. Um, there's for sure a need to cooperate in a much more professional way. And I'm happy that the new CEO of the ATP, Andrea Gaudenzi, pointed out um, exactly this. Um, in one way, it needs to be 
um, much more effective if you merge things together, bring things together, but not WTA and ATEs like ITF, it's a grand slams. Right now you have um, so many different um, business models that somebody who wants to sponsor tennis doesn't even not know whom to call. So I believe say what Andrea says, that the TV rights to sell together, the data sell together, there's no doubt that in my point of view that he's right. Um, on the other way, I think tennis needs to unify and not having all these different entities which making decisions and not coordinate them. I think it's important to have, let's say, a commissaire of tennis who is the number one and who decides about calendar, who decides about all these issues. That these different organizations are working together where it gives sense. Do you agree that the mixed events are great? As a coach, I don't agree. What um, coaches normally hate this because we don't have enough courts, because, you know, like the schedule is done because the woman um, chief and the men chief cannot agree before 11 o'clock in the night and the player is pissed because he has to play maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning and doesn't know when to wake up. So, but these are things which could be fixed. Um, on the other way, it all depends on the on the sponsors, you know, like if you see Rome and Rome would be having a sponsor which would pay the same amount whether he has men and women, I don't see the value of going together. Um, if you see the Grand Slams and they are working perfectly together, they're having enough practice courts, they're having enough facility, then it's working. So I think it's not important, to be honest, what I think, it's much more important what the customer thinks. The customer who buys a ticket likes to see this and likes to have this tournament combined, I'm perfectly, just it has to be done in a better and smart way. But if the customer doesn't want to see this, then it doesn't give sense to put it together on political reasons. We are now in the middle of July, moving forward. What is your opinion of the US Open being played, the French Open being played, it's very difficult decisions, and I think um, we even don't know whether it's played. Every day is news, but you know, like life has to go on, and um, if they are able to manage the health um, protocol and um, are managing that the event is safe for players, for spectators, if US Open, they will have no spectators, but um, for the staff, for the ball boys, for everybody involved, I think it's fine. Have you had any interesting conversations with anyone that is not going to be showing up? Have you talked to Novak? Have you talked to anyone that has talked to these guys that aren't going to play? I mean, we learned that Svitolina is not going to play the U.S. Open. Halep is not playing the U.S. Open. Yeah, um, yesterday I saw on Twitter that Rafa Nadal is practicing on clay, which is not a typical sign that he intends to go to the U.S. Open. And okay, like we all know that playing US Open and, you know, Rafa is not going there for the first round prize money. Um, playing the US Open is very tough after like four or five months not playing and then going the day after the US Open and going on the first round in Madrid um, on clay. So in some way, if you be somebody with the expectation to be in the final of the US Open, you have to make a decision either play U.S. Open or play Madrid. And um, 
you know, the players normally need to adapt from a Grand Slam two weeks. Um, this is not only the change of the surface, this is the less important thing. Right. The, you know, like you give everything to win seven rounds in best of five in the Grand Slam, um, your body needs to recover. And I believe that players are smart enough not to think short term, as they think about their long term healthness. And that not many players which are in the top are eager to play both tournaments the clay courts in Madrid and the US Open on hard. You know, we are daily in talks. You never know whether this will happen. You know, nobody knows about the quarantine situation if you come back from US to Europe. And I think to make the US tournaments happen, this is a thing they have to deliver. They're working on it. Just so everyone is clear, if you're playing in the United States, you got to go back to Europe. They may say, listen, you have to quarantine for 14 days. They say Right now, that's the word. They are saying that now. That is the yes. word. Yes. So that's a, that's a huge problem. Yes, and they have to solve it this week. They got to solve it this week. All right, let's move into our third set. This is the portion of our show where we talk about your career. You just explained to me earlier that you were born in Hamburg. Yes. Where does your tennis begin? Where does this life in tennis that you lived begin? I have a very short tennis career. I started my tennis in Bad Homburg when I was um, 11 years. Um, I won some district championships. My only remarkable um, win of my career. Hold on a second. You were born in Germany. Did your parents have athletic backgrounds? Did, how did you end up in tennis? My parents, my father had a very good athletic background until he was 17 years. He played tennis, but he was in the German final in the 100 meter and in the long jump. But um, when he was 17, the war started. So um, his time in sport was um, done. Um, when the second world war started. What was it like to have grown up in Germany post-World War II? What was it like to have been a child at that time? I was, I was born 11 years after the World War II, and yeah. to be honest, I, um, I didn't realize it. Later on, I heard from my parents' stories. Um, but, you know, like, we was born just in a normal, very nice um, country, everything was going good, our economy was growing, um, everybody had a good mood. Um, yeah, like I must say, I'm, I'm so lucky, I'm now 64 years and I never in my life had any situations, even like this now, no pandemic, we had no wars, we had, you know, our wars was when we looked to CNN and, um, and looked, um, yeah, a war in Iran or in Kuwait, which is away and yeah, you see it in TV, but you don't really know what is a war. I'm sorry, I, I uh, interrupted you. You started playing tennis, but where, where, what happened? Coming to my biggest, yes, they're coming to my biggest success. I won the under-14 international championship of Great Britain and um, beating, and this is a funny story, Nigel Sears oh, wow. uh, in the final, but he was one year younger than me. I must give him the credit from this. 
And um, that's yeah. a great that's a great win for our listeners. Yes. Ni- yes. Nigel yes. Sears had a yes. had a very exemplary tennis career. He was a yes a very and good player. Under fourteen and under sixteen, I also won it. But with the age of fourteen on grass court, I even was invited in Wimbledon for the junior tournament. Um, because I didn't know that I'm German, because I had the English address. Um, I only was in Great Britain because my parents wanted me to be better in school and learn English. So um, I used this time to play the tournaments, but I was not allowed for my parents in this time because they thought that school is more important than a junior tournament in Great Britain. And um, yeah, so I missed Wimbledon, but I didn't miss the English grassroots season. I enjoyed it very much. And yeah, coming to the end of my career, when I wanted to go to professional tennis after school, I, on the first day, broke my both elbows and um, my right arm, I which I play tennis, I cannot stretch, only uh, 70% instead of 90%. So doctors told me never to be playing tennis. Um, Sorry, how did, you, how did you hurt yourself? I went down the stairs. And um, you fell downstairs. Yes, yes. Um, that's that's terrible, man. I advice on the first day I wanted to go to ski and decided ski is too dangerous. Stay home. So going skiing, I think. On um, the day you were gonna go skiing, you ended up falling downstairs. Yes, the first day where I stopped going to ski. Oh come on, Derek. Yes. Anyway, to be honest, I'm not the talent. Um, that the world is missing something in the tennis world. But I enjoyed very much. You know, later on, I went with good players to American satellites um, in this time, what is called today Futures. Um, I went with Jürgen Fassbender. You know, all these guys. And because I lost so early, they mostly told me, okay, now you can look at my match and um, support me. So this was my coaching career. So you... You got hurt, and you were hanging around, and you started kind of coaching the players that you were sort of hanging around with. Yes. You know, in my summer, I, I studied. So in the, in the terms when the study had holiday, we used to go, let's say, in March, April. Um, we got, went to Florida, played the Florida satellites in Vero Beach and Naples and all these Florida destinations, and um, yeah, like always when we had these breaks from student time, then we used it to go to tennis tournaments. How did you become prominent in tennis? I've heard some different stories. Okay, coming back, I studied law, I studied economy, opened some companies, um, made this quite successful, merged some companies with the bank and stuff like this, and um, yeah, so on one point, um, I had a contract that I got paid from a, from a company for five years, but didn't need to work. Um, but it was like on a merger. And yeah, on some way, I used it. Because at this time, there were some players I was coaching. Um, like Alex Rabulescu was the first player I coached. And one year later, Rainer Schüttler came to me with 16 years. And so... Yeah, I used my time and said, yes, let's do what I really love to do and coach these players. All right, so I got it. So, so you, you, you made a fortune. You 
wanted to be back in tennis and that's what, and you were getting paid on a five year buyout. And, and that's what you did. You got right in HR coaching Schuttler. Schuttler got to five. That's, you can't do better. You, that's as good as you can do. Schuttler looks like an accountant. He got to five in the world. It's incredible. Yeah, you know, like, he was, as you know, final of Australian Open. He was silver medal winner in Olympics. Semi-Wimbledon. Semi-Wimbledon, semi right? Semi-Wimbledon. He was final in Monte Carlo. Um, he won four tournaments in his career in Tokyo, Lyon, even back-to-back. -back. In Doha, beating three top ten players, breaking in the top hundred. Not bad for accountant. Maybe he had an accountant, which he had. You know, Schüttler was one of the fittest, fastest players, best coordinated. Um, he had a wonderful backhand. Um, he had um, very, you know, every, his technique was really great. Um, he just missed a good serve. I was told that you were instrumental in bringing Novak to Nikki Pillage. Uh, is that true? No. That's not true, but I was uh, meeting Novak with 15 years in New York first time. And we financed him and we managed him. You financed Novak. And when he was 15, he came to my practice camp in the winter for six weeks. I'm sorry, can you explain that? You financed the, the family? You bankrolled the family? Yes, we gave him um, money to pay his coaches, to pay his traveling. And, um, you know, he never got all the amount which we promised him because he was getting so fast, so good, that he financed himself at the end. Um, yeah, like Novak was with me in the practice camp after Pillage. So he practiced in the winter with Schüttler, with Spokesmüller, Jung Tag Lee, Randy Lu, all these players. And, um, yeah, but... You know, his career is incredible. And I must say today that, and we know that, we make some jokes that I never expected him to be so good as he really is. Like, I thought he's a top 10 player, but that he maybe is the best player ever at the end of his career. I didn't hear the last thing you said. I didn't saw in this moment that he maybe at the end finished as the best player ever um, in in the world. So that's impressive. I mean, it's, it, 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 to say that that's an understatement to say the least. Um, but so do I have it right that you were sort of prominent when Steech, Schuttler, Tommy Haas, you know, all these guys were playing very good tennis and some of these Serbs started kind of folding into your group. Novak, then Tip Sarovich. Is that and, and and is it is it so is that what it was? Is that you were basically bankrolling, staking players, managing no, players? I, no. Novak was the only one. Um, oh Novak was the only one you bankrolled. Yes. Yes. Like Janko, I never, you know, um, never um, financed. I managed him since he's twenty, and I coached him the last six years of his career. I coached him between this sometimes before. But I coached Randy Lou for eight years. I coached Lars Brooksbitter for 20, 12 years. I coached Danai Udong Schock for eight years. I coached, I think, 15 players, um, which I brought as a top 100. So um, you, brought, you brought 15 players to the top 100. 
around here, like this same place, I wouldn't shop. Um, Lipschild, Boxmüller, Schüttler, all these players. Um, I worked with Pospisil for one year now. I worked with Pella for one year. Like, um, I always coach like two, three players at the same time. And um, yeah, like, I never financed one of them. Did you make any money from Novak? Yes. You <laughs> got you, paid. You got paid on that investment. You the number one of the world for 10 years. You should make some money. What is the story of Yanko? How did that relationship come to be? Um, Yanko called me when he was 20 and asked me to manage him. He was the number one in the juniors. Um, he staggered a little bit. And um, so more or less now, since 15 years, I was taking care of him. I helped him to find the right coaches. I um, advised him. I um, helped him to make his management. I was his manager. And um, in some years when he had problems, maybe he just changed coaches. I even coached him for some weeks, for some tournaments. And um, on one point, he came to me and said, look, I just finished with my coach. Um, we have a great relation, but um, I'm 50 in the world. Um, when I started with him, two years later now, I'm still number 50 in the world, and I want you to help me. So I told him, Janko, it's very easy. You never need to fire me, because if you be not in the top 20 after the first year, I will fire myself. So... Luckily, he finished his number um, 10. Um, after, yeah, he decided to keep working with me. He made another year in the top 10. And, yeah, in the next year, he started great with a win in the Chennai tournament in last 16 Australian Open, which he never reached before. How were you instrumental in getting Yanko into the top 10 to get to him to eight in the world? What was, what, what was it that you did? He changed some small things, mainly his position. Um, he went closer to the line, um, to the baseline. And we changed some small things in the forehand, in the forehand technique. And the key point is not, I think, that I made him in the top 10. I think he decided to give 100% to be more focused himself. And I think what helped him a lot was the marriage to his wife, which encouraged him a lot, which helped him a lot. And I think as a team, his wife and me, we went very good along with him. And um, yeah, like he found the necessary concentration to get the best out of it. How would you describe your life in tennis to someone that maybe has never heard of you? What would you say? I love tennis. I love where I am. And I think it's a big privilege for me to do what I love and would love to do as a hobby, as a professional. And let's say I think I was quite successful in managing players, but a player who could, he said, no, that could call me at 10 o'clock at night and I was not, oh my God, my office time is over. Um, for me, it was a pleasure to speak to him. And um, I also think that I was lucky enough to be independent financial-wise so I always was able to say what I think and what I believe. I just said yesterday to a friend, it's funny, in 25 years, never a player fired me. 
Um, on the other way, I never was afraid. Um, I always think it's um, important that you be um, honest to a player and that you be able to say what you think and not thinking I do this only to keep my job. Dirk Hordorf, breaking it down. Do you have a coaching style? Are, are there? Did is there anyone you you uh, maybe try to emulate? Let's say I'm a German, and my father is a mathematics. And for German, uh, one and one is two. I try to be as much logical as possible. On the other way, yeah, I believe that you have to see the strengths of the player, the possibilities. And if you see a player, it's like for me, like a puzzle. I need to know where I want to go. What should be the players in three years, in four years? And if you know exactly where you want to go and what you want to reach, you can work in the right way. I'm not the guy which is coming and saying, okay, let's start like this and don't have a plan. I really believe that to be effective, you need to know what you want to reach, how you want to reach it, and go effective in this. Let's move into our fourth set. This is the 10-ball scramble. I don't do it. I just say something, and you say what comes into your mind, okay? I don't do it. It's not a deep dive. It's word association, okay? He just lit a cigarette. So let's just start right there. What brand of cigarettes do you smoke? Marlboro. Marlboro Light or Marlboro Red? Marlboro Red. Marlboro, Marlboro Red. Red. You, I heard you smoke two packs a day of Marlboro Red. Is that true? That's 50% of the truth. 50% of the truth. Your favorite city? Bad Homburg, where I'm living. Bad Homburg. Uh, your favorite tournament? Wimbledon. Your favorite restaurant in London? Um, the Russian restaurant, no, I don't, um, not coming to the name. It's a Russian restaurant. You go, you eat Russian when you're in London. In you, eat Ru- you eat Russian in Knightsbridge when you're in London. Yes. Uh, the best deal you ever made in tennis? Novak Djokovic signing. Signing Novak at 15. That's the best yes. deal. Yes. The worst deal you ever made in tennis? Oh, my God. Um, I never really had a bad, bad thing. Knock on wood, man. Do you have wood in your house? Knock on wood. Make sure you <laughs> knock. <laughs> He's just knocked on wood. Never made a bad deal in tennis. Um, where do you go for your tennis news? Tennis? News. So- where do you get your news? News, oh, information. Um- uh, mostly from internet, um, um, all resources, like, okay, you go for tournament news to the website of the ATP, um, player zone. But, um, yeah, more and more in last time, Jersey also in Twitter. And, um, yeah, mostly in social media, I'd be in Facebook. In my age, Facebook is the right thing. On-court coaching. The idea that players, uh, that there could be coaching on the court. I think that there's no professional sport where there's no coaching on court. It's a, it's a joke that tennis has no coaching on court. Um, for entertainment, for the spectators, tennis has to be much more entertainment and things happening. I think one of the points 
which is a little bit a problem is right now a tennis match looks too, it happens not enough for the spectators. It's so long, but I always said, on the day they start so on coaching, I'm stopping coaching because I cannot smoke on court. Off-court coaching, coaching from the, play, from the player's box, yelling and screaming down from the box. Fine, for me, fine. But I think this way with the coaching with the microphone, of course, is um, the best way. I think it's important that the spectators in TV, that they um, getting this information, that they're getting part of the story of the coaching. So I think this should be important. Davis Cup. It's a shame. It's not anymore existing. Nick Bolateri. It's a great person. I um, met him sometimes at the Anna, and um, he's a very successful coach. Um, but as a person, he's very interesting. And um, yeah, I think he had a great career. Brad Gilbert. Brad is a very, very smart person. Um, he wrote an interesting book, um, Winning Ugly. Um, he coached Andre Agassi, very successful. And um, yeah, I have a lot of respect before. Jan Tiriak. Yeah, he's a hero. Um, he was the first I met. Is uh, Jan, Jan Tiriak your hero? Yes, like he's great. Um, I think what he reached in tennis, what he created, what he made is incredible. Um, he's an intelligent, unbelievable intelligent person um, with a great humor. Um, I have, yeah, like, um, I can only give him compliments for what he did. Boris Becker. A great person, our head of men's tennis. Um, incredible what he did for German tennis. Um, I was his fan. And I still be his fan in the way he's working now. And I was, I'm very proud that I was able to manage to get him back to the German tennis. Were you instrumental in getting him back to the German Tennis Federation? Yes. Yeah, I must say I give you some credit for this. Um, when he coached Novak, um, we had every Grand Slam our cup of coffee and he was interested what I'm doing, what the German Federation is doing. And I always gave him in every, every talk the feeling, hey, whenever you want, in however way you want, we would be very happy to come back and be part of us. And when he stopped coaching with Novak, I had the chance to speak to him and with my sports director together, we was able to um, bring him back as in the very important role as head of men's tennis. How significant and bad are his highly publicized financial problems? Look, um, it's his private life. And I didn't took him for our financial director. If he speaks with a young man, if he speaks with Sasha Zverev or anybody, um, they don't want to get financial advices from him. They want to hear what he has to say about tennis. And this is his role in Germany. And this is, I think, what I'll be able to comment. I'm not able to comment about the financial things or anything else. And I think it's not important for his role in Germany. That's fair. Uh, let's move into our fifth set. This is what we call the king of the court. Do we play tiebreak or do we play a, we are playing Wimbledon way? Hey, man, we play at Wimbledon way. You can take as long as you want. This is the king of the, 
this is the king of the court. If you were the king of tennis and you could do anything you wanted to change, make any kind of change in the sport without any aggravation, what would it be? I would try to make tennis more exciting for the fans. I would try to shorten up the show. I would bring in elements like Patrick Moratoglu um, brought in his exhibitions. I would make tennis united that the outsider, like who wants to get in contact with tennis, don't have to search first with whom they can speak. I would make sure that the players in the tournaments would have a fair share of economy, of, of revenues. I would make sure that the world would have a fair share, that not four tournaments getting most of the money and most of the profits. And I would think that the development of tennis, like in all successful sports, has to be paid from the people which are making the money. Man, I think you would be a, a very interesting, uh, I think Koenig is the word in German, right? Is Koenig the word in German? Yes, but I'm not a good Koenig. I'm a better worker. You would not be a good Koenig. I'm not really like this role. <laughs> Listen, you were, uh, it was fascinating talking with you. I'd only heard that you were a cool guy, and that, that definitely was the case, or that definitely is the case. I, I hope uh, moving forward we'll, we'll see each other one of these days. Well, thank you very much for giving me the first time the chance to play best of five. Um, as a junior, I only played best of three. Even in my men's career, only best of three, so it was my first experience in best of five. Dirk Horndorf, uh, vice president of the German Tennis Federation and a straw that seems to be stirring a lot of drinks in tennis, uh, you are released. Thank you very much. Avida Zane. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Huge thank you to Dirk Hordorf. And thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com. And use my code, CRAIG30, in all caps, at checkout to receive 30% off of your order. We just re-upped the tennis t-shirt of 2020, the Quarantine Classic, and we're taking orders for the Blanc, the Terrebat 2, and the Vare, which is green. Shoot me a note if you want to get on that program. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released. <laughs>